You're listening to The Bridge Metro West, located at 7 Strathmore Road in Natick, Massachusetts. For more information about The Bridge Metro West, our weekly Sunday gatherings, and other events, go to www.bridgemetrowest.com. So last week I thought I was ending the series on the blood of Jesus and as I was sitting in the word this week and just ruminating on him and hearing some of the testimonies of healing even this week that that came forth I mean Lisa was one and, and the funny thing about hers was she was feeling nothing she got prayer and she didn't feel anything. She didn't think anything of it. She wasn't, you know, there was no moment like where, you know, the angel of the Lord with the fiery sword showed up and she felt tingle. She felt nothing. She goes, oh, that was nice. That was nice. It wasn't until a few moments later where she began to exercise, meaning she just had to get up and move, that she realized, wait a second, there's no pain. And she, she told me last week, you know, what was going on. She goes, I know when I, when I look at, the, you know, the, where the injury is, I know I'm not going to see anything. Because sometimes God just moves, even in the practical things. You know, sometimes we don't think, oh, you know, I don't want prayer. I don't want to get prayer for a headache, or I don't want to get prayer for an ankle. One of the most profound healings that I was ever a part of was, was an ankle. I was actually speaking at a, a Hispanic church. Uh, I don't know if I was speaking. I think I was doing worship, and John Thomas was speaking. And, you know, this is Spanish Pentecostal, like, you know, you're in for the long haul. Yes. Like, it's not, it's not a 90-minute service. It's, you know, it's a service until, you know. <laughs> they pray until. They worship until, you know. So it was a long night. I think it was up in Woburn or something like that. And sometimes, not all the time, but more so maybe when I was younger. That's not an excuse. I'm just trying to be honest, when I was ministering, I would look for the hardest looking person in the room. I would look around, you know, and, and there was this woman that kept, you know, we were in ministry time and this woman was going forward and there was this guy that was like just trailing her. And I was like, there's a, there's actually a spirit of control on this guy. This is not a good situation. I don't know what the relationship is here, but this is not a good thing. As a matter of fact, he's, he's inhibiting her reception. Whatever is on him, whatever's in him is inhibiting her ability to receive from God because he's, he's hovering in the space where Holy Spirit was supposed to be. So there came a point in time where there was some separation. And, and, and so I went up to him. I said, hey man, how you doing? And he barely spoke English. He goes, oh, you know, I'm doing, you know, I'm doing good. You know, I was like, is there anything I can pray for you for? Because I noticed he was limping. He goes, yeah, I was playing soccer this week and I sprained my ankle. He pulled his jean leg, pull, kind of pulled his sock down, and his ankle was just big and blue. I was like, well, that's not how that's supposed to work. I mean, I'm no doctor, but. And so uh, I said, hey, can I pray for you? And so he sat down in a chair, and I began to pray for him. Now I felt nothing. I can count on one hand the amount of times that I've prayed over people specifically for healing where, you know, I want to be like Jesus where I feel the virtue leave me. I don't usually feel anything leave me except the words coming out of my mouth because I'm doing it in faith. I would love to feel it. I would love to have that confidence in the moment and say, oh, you know, this is, I feel the spirit. I feel the oil. I'm on fire right now and I want to release the fire. You know, when I'm in intercession or I'm in worship, I'll feel that. But when I'm praying over people, a lot of times I don't. But faith is the substance of things that we don't see. 
And so I call things that are not as though they are. That's what faith does. I know that it's within the heart of God, out of his compassion to heal. So again, I'm not asking him to do anything that he doesn't want to do. I'm just coming into agreement with his word. Amen? And I'm not so worried about the effect that it will have on me if someone does get healed or someone doesn't get healed. I just walk in obedience and understand, okay, now it's your job to heal Jesus. So I just leave this in your hands. I'm going to proclaim your name. I'm going to proclaim your word. I'm going to walk the way that you asked me to walk. And then I'm just going to trust you with the outcome, whatever that is. And so I prayed for him and, you know, nothing happened. I have a few stories like this, and, you know, because it's sort of the Randy Clark School of Ministry, you know, we'll pray again. I prayed again, still not feeling a thing, nothing happened. I'm just patting myself on the back to, because I went to the hardest looking dude in the room, and he's got no, I mean, there's no joy on this face, like there's nothing going on. Pray for him again. I, you know, I wish I could say that I prayed seven times, I never count, I don't know, but there came a point in time, and I prayed for him, just it was a real simple prayer. God, I just pronounce the kingdom of God on this body. I pronounce kingdom order on this ankle. Real simple. You know, I didn't, have, I didn't go looking for spiritual roots or, you know, find out, well, you need to forgive your uncle's aunt's sister because, and that's why you're injured and not getting healed. I didn't go into that. I didn't have any revelation. It was just, okay, here's an injury. Here's someone that needs the blood of Jesus on their life in many ways, but this might be a gateway. And so, at, you know, I prayed again. All of a sudden, his, his eyes got big. And I said, hey, man, check it. We used to say that all the time. Check it. Check that injury. Wave that thing around. Because like last week, it was when Lisa checked it. And honestly, she wasn't even checking it. She just had to get up and walk. And she realized, oh, my goodness. I'm healed. But sometimes in your process of receiving healing, when you check the place of your infirmity, it actually attaches faith to the act that's happening now, and that becomes the catalyst that brings the healing or, or brings the manifestation of the healing. Does that make sense? Yes. So he got up and he started, not only did he start walking on that ankle, he started hopping down the aisle on his injured ankle. And the guy who looked like the hardest guy in the room suddenly looked like the brightest guy in the room because he just encountered Jesus. And we didn't stop there. We prayed for his salvation. We prayed for a baptism of fire to come on his life. And that guy did not leave the way that he came in while I felt not a thing. But it produced a testimony, not only in the room for all the people to see, but it produced a testimony even for me that became the very spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? Is that it just shifts the atmosphere with the reality of God. And that's what we want to talk about today. The blood of Jesus and the power of testimony. If I were going to title the message, I would just title it, Say So. Reminds me of that old song. Well, I mean, it's from Scripture. We're going to read this Scripture. As a matter of fact, turning your Bibles to Psalm 107. And there was that old, you know, charismatic chorus, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whenever I think of the song, I, I just imagine my mom was a, she was a circular clapper. Not in any particular rhythm. She just, she loved to clap. I dared her once to dance up front while I was leading worship if I played her favorite song, and she did. I never, I never dared her again. 
I, we were singing the song, I will become even more undignified than this. In my mind, I'm saying, please, Jesus, no, don't let her become more undignified than this. But I like a lot of those old choruses, you know, they, they run through my mind all the time, and, and often I, I just see her in heaven, let the redeemed of the Lord, but she didn't really stick on key either, you know, I, we don't know where all the musical ability in my family came from, it, I don't know, I don't think it came from her, but it was somewhere in the gene pool, and she'd be clapping like arrhythmically, you know, just call it jazz, mama, it's okay, it's a grace note, you're fine, you're fine, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So Psalm 107, 1 and 2 out of the New American Standard, it says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The NIV is, uh, for his love endures forever. There's another song that's based on that. Verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Somebody say, say so. That's like a little tongue twister. Somebody say, say so. Okay. Whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. I look out in this room today, I see a people that have been redeemed from the adversary. But I don't want to assume that everybody in this room has been redeemed from the adversary. How, what's the gateway to being redeemed from the adversary? It's the cross. It's saying yes to Jesus. And it's not just making him your buddy. Jesus is the king of glory, seated at the right hand of the Father. He's enthroned in, in, in majesty and glory and light. There's thunders and lightnings proceeding from his throne. And he is the king. And he wants to occupy all the thrones of your soul. We make him the primary authority in our lives. You know, Jesus did say to his disciples, you know, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. But that was after three years of faithfully serving day and night, night and day, walking in inside the sacred space of his name until they, they got to a space where he said, I can trust you with authority now. We love power. Power catches a wave that's already on the move, but authority starts one. We want to move from power to authority, but don't assume automatically that we have authority. This is a problem with some of the teachings that are out there because we end up stepping into realms where we don't have authority because we think that we have authority because we have the, we're, it's the authority of the believer. And then we start getting beat up because we're in a space that he didn't call us to be, but we read it in a book. And that's okay. I mean, there's, we're, we're redeemed. There's forgiveness. It's, it's fine. It's, you know, he will turn everything for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. And you love them. I mean, everybody's called, but few are chosen. I want to be chosen. So it's the power of testimony. When we're talking about the word testimony in the Hebrew, the root word of the word testimony means do it again. And so the Hebrew picture of this word is saying you can reach back into your experience and speak of it today as though it's just happening in the moment and it will release an atmosphere of that miracle in your life in the, in the manifest reality of that present time so that other people can step into the experience that you had. 
There's power in testimony. That's, what, that's why it's the spirit of prophecy, because you're taking something, an event that occurred, and you're bringing it into the now. Every time we talk about Jesus, we are taking the power of the cross. We're taking his words, it is finished, and we're releasing the reality of those words in the now, in, in this, this time, in this day, 2,000 years later, as though he is on the cross saying it right now for the very first time. Because it's the word of God. It never falls to the ground void. It's living and active. He's the word that became flesh and walked among us. So if he said it, it is the word. And so you can access the word. You can release the word in the now as though he is saying it in this very moment. And that's where things begin to shift. That's where, you know, sometimes you have a physical sensation. Something happens in your body, either, you know, anywhere from goosebumps to like sticking your finger in a light socket. And all of a sudden you start shaking because there's so much power coursing through your veins. Now, that hasn't happened to me so much since I was young. As a teenager, before shaking was a thing, I was probably getting some deliverance too. But I had pockets of time in my life where the Spirit of God moved on me so powerfully that my body just could not contain it. Now, I mostly have the standing up anointing. I would love to be, you know, one of those people that, you know, I feel just the breeze of the Spirit and I go down and I'm caught up into the heavenlies or having some sort of an encounter or, you know, I, I, I get goosebumps, I cry. The last time I really, really went down or down and out, I don't know if that's what, what you call it, in the Spirit, I was at a conference and we were actually at a four-square church, I think in Worcester. And uh, Danny Stain was there. A guy named Jeff Jansen was there. We were, you know, doing worship. And I, don't, I honestly, I don't remember what happened. I just remember that I was behind the keyboard. And then when I came to, I was draped over the floor monitor. And I looked up as people were coming in for the next session. And I realized I missed dinner. <laughs> it was an imposed fast. Intermittent fasting by the Holy Spirit. But there's power, and I recall some of these moments, like in those times where I'm discouraged, in those times where I feel like I am under the weight of circumstances. You know, I talk about it all the time. We're not under, we rise above, but sometimes you just feel under. And when you feel under, you go to the Word of God. You declare what the Word of God says about your reality, or you go back into those times where you did have encounters. You did experience healing. You did see healing. Something happened in your life where the Holy Spirit came down, and you start to speak of it. Sometimes I'm just talking to myself in a room, and I begin to declare the works of God. I remember His good deeds, His mighty deeds. I remember all of those things that He did in my life over time, and as I do that, it's as if I turn my eyes upon Jesus in that moment, I look full into his wonderful face, and suddenly the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I wish that was scripture. It's a really good song. Another one of those old songs. You didn't have to clap to that one, so my mom wasn't doing the circular clapping to that, but it, it's from that same era. What an amazing song. It's the great excuse breaker. And there's excuse breakers all over scripture. There is always a way of escape out of the stuff that you feel in the moment. But sometimes you got to get out of your own head and get into the mind of Christ. Testimony will do that. Our testimony is a powerful tool given to us by God to declare his goodness and faithfulness. 
when we testify about Jesus and share our personal experiences of his goodness, salvation, healing, deliverance, we proclaim his victory over the enemy. This, you know, I read this scripture, uh, I think it's out of 1 Peter 4, 2 Peter 4, um, last week or the week before, whenever it was. And it's one of, my, one of my favorite verses in scripture. But he says, live as though you are free. Another translation says, live as free men. Why? Because you are. Sometimes you don't feel free. Sometimes you feel bound. You know, sometimes you might be, a, literally be a slave to your circumstance, but the word of God over your life is to say, posture yourselves in a way before his face that you live as though you are free from the very circumstance that you feel bound by. Why? Because you are free. The blood of Jesus breaks every chain of dominion off of your life that is not of him. It eradicates works of darkness. It gives you clarity of thought and vision. It's the blood of the lamb. Live as though you are free. Be like a pit bull on meat with that thing. So testimonies get in the enemy's face and remind him that we are a victorious people. When we proclaim his victory over the enemy, we step into, we realign with the victorious lifestyle that he paid for on the cross. The greatest example of the victorious lifestyle is when the apostles are in prison. They got beat. They're in a rat-infested prison. It's not clean. It was not a country club atmosphere. And what did they do at midnight? They had a worship party. They started singing, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. My mom would be clapping right there. That's what they did. Because they lived a victorious lifestyle, even though they were in physical chains. You can do the same. Even, and, and what I love about this verse is that it, it's before the cross. There are so, much, so many demonstrations of the power, the nature, the character of God manifesting through his kids, even before the cross, that the, you know, God is already establishing the power of testimony through the psalmist right here. And he says, say so. Are you redeemed? Say so. What does that mean? Tell somebody about it. If it's Christ in you, the hope of glory, then you got to start releasing the glory. And it's not, you know, it doesn't have to be some, you know, pie in the sky, blue, you know, blue smoke and silver trumpets thing. It can just be telling someone what Jesus did in your life. People want an authentic, real story. We think that, that people want drama. You know, they want to hear about the big meetings and they want to hear about, no, they want to hear in a practical way what did Jesus do for you? I'm telling you, when you tell people for out of compassion and just out of an authentic joy of sharing your experience with God, people are receptive. I, you know, I, and maybe it has something to do with what you look like too. I, I don't think my wife has ever been turned down when she started talking about God in a public space. And you, you've heard me talk about it before. I mean, I've lived here since I was four. Nobody ever talked to me in Walmart. Nobody ever talked to me in any store. And then we get married everywhere we go. People start talking to us. And I don't know, maybe, maybe it's a woman thing. I don't, you know, does this shirt, what do you, what do you think of this shirt? And I'm looking at like, are you talking? Oh, oh, you're talking to her. Okay. Because I don't know. It looks, it's got flowers on it. It's on the clearance rack. Get it.
People are receptive to real. Give them the real and watch the glory of God be transferred from you onto someone else's life. They may not make a decision in that moment, but they'll remember the encounter. I mentioned it last week, but we, we had one of our members when Satan Con was going on. She went to Satan Con. It wasn't an event. You know, we didn't have an outreach team. There were outreach teams all over the Boston, but she just went and she hung out in the lobby. And she started talking to people. And now, you know, you got people on the outside with megaphones telling everybody they're going to hell. Because, you know, the Bible says in Romans 2, his kindness leads them to repentance. So it makes sense to get a megaphone and sandwich boards and tell everybody they're going to hell because that's going to win souls. Just what I want, you know, more fear-based people. And she said, you know, everybody, she spent the day there. Every person except for three stopped and engaged in conversation and told their stories as she told her story. Now one person, I don't, I don't think, I don't think anybody, at least through her experience, got saved in that, in that space. But a lot of people met the real Jesus as opposed to what was going on in the, out in the, the streets. Jesus didn't walk around with a megaphone. I mean, yeah, okay, he turned over some tables. He, he did some things, but that was the religious leaders he was going after, not the world. When he was at the world, he'd say, where are your accusers? There are none. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So we are called to boldly proclaim what God has done in our lives. How do we get boldness? The power of the Holy Spirit. To me, the initial... Maybe it's not physical evidence. The initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire is boldness. Something changes when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 11. I came home. Now I used to shoot 100 free throws every day because Larry Bird did. Gina was never that good. I tried, man. I tried. But to do the exact same thing every single time. Like, that's not my thing. Now, put a body in front of me so I can hit him. I could do that. But like, so I don't think I ever really got much over 70%. I was mostly in the, the mid-60s. But, but every time I made it, I was praising the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I was having a Pentecostal pie at 11 years old, shooting free throws. Man, it was an ice storm. I came out in the ice storm. Everything's covered in ice. The basket's covered in ice. I'm shooting free throws, 100 free throws every day because Larry Bird did, even though I was nowhere near Larry Bird. And a couple years later, I just gave up and played soccer full year round because I could hit people in soccer. I wasn't very Christ-like on the field, even though I, you know, I had encounters with God, but I got on the field and, well, I wanted to win and be a little obnoxious on the way. I got to amuse myself. But we had a family rule. If I got a yellow card, then, uh, especially after I was 16, they were going to take my license for an undetermined amount of time. So I learned how to be really sneaky. <laughs> Do things that might be yellow card worthy, but not get caught. Until I went to college, and then it didn't matter. I can get cards. It was fine. I don't even know how I got on there. But we want boldness, right? Somebody say bold. I want to be bold. I want to be more bold than I am. Sometimes I'm, you know, I, I, I fall into timidity. When I'm out in the public spaces, you know, I could blame it on being an introvert, but God is not really interested in my personality type. He's interested in us performing his word. It's, I mean, this is kind of easy, you know, but being out and, you know, in, in public spaces, pumping your gas, whatever it is that you're doing, and you feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit, I'm like, oh, no, really, right now? 
Our testimonies have the power to awaken faith, activate faith, and inspire action, not only in you, but in the person you're speaking to. This is why we try to take some time, you know, periodically where we release testimonies here because it brings the reality of one person's experience and it releases it into the room so that it awakens you to possibility. So we want to awaken faith, we want to activate faith, and we want to inspire action. Why? Because the book of James says that faith without works is dead. It's not a works-based faith, but works are a fruit of faith. So we understand that if we're operating in faith, there will be works as an extension of that faith. Does that make sense? Okay. Your testimony is the vehicle for the atmosphere of heaven to be released on earth. You could call it a vehicle. You could call it a conduit, you know, because I'm, you know, a, a musical kind of person and did worship and music for years. You know, a microphone is called a transducer. And so it takes what is being released here. It passes through this diaphragm that activates an electrical current that then gets amplified and sent out over the speakers. That's what a testimony does. I have an experience. I have a sound that I want to release, and now I'm releasing it by the Holy Spirit. He amplifies that testimony and creates an atmosphere in the space that I am in that is bigger than me that can draw people into his goodness and to his grace. That's why it's so important for you to testify. I don't know if that was a... That was weird. Maybe that was my face. I don't know. So, when we share the testimony of Jesus, what are we doing? We magnify his name. We declare his power to a world in need. And our stories become living testimonies of God's love, mercy, and grace, and goodness drawing others into the kingdom of God. When we share our testimony, we become conquerors. And not only that, you become more than conquerors. Romans 8, 37, out of the Passion Translation, it says this, yet even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all, for God has made us to be more than conquerors, and his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. See, salvation is free. It's a free gift. But overcoming is an option. Overcoming is the pathway to reward. And some people are like, well, I, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, just approach God for what I can get out of him. Look, Paul said, I run for the prize. The apostle Paul in the Bible, it's in the word of God. He said, I run for the prize. I think it's okay for you to run some, for some prizes too. I think it's okay to approach the throne of grace and ask of him in your time of need. Why is that okay? Because it's in the word. I was having a little bit of a debate with some people recently and they were talking about worship and, you know, periodically the word comes out or someone's talking about worship and modern worship and, and people start criticizing. And, and by the way, this happened in the days of hymnals as well. As hymns are being written and all of the revival movements and the great awakenings, as these hymns are being written, there's, there was always sort of the religious police that would come out and criticize what was doing. But every revival has a sound. And so it's easy to get into a mode where we start to criticize honest expressions of communication through song between the hearts of man and the hearts of God and say, well, you know, you, you were always asking him for something. 
You know, when are we just going to begin to worship God for who he is? And I get the sentiment, but the reality is we will always have babies in the room and we have to allow people to have their spiritual infancy. What do babies do? They cry. Why do they cry? You don't know. But you hope the bottle is going to solve the problem every single time. It was easy in the hospital. You know, we had a little bit of an extended stay in the, in the hospital when Riley was born because 45 minutes after he was born, uh, Debbie coded. We were having a conversation and then she was unconscious. She was blue. She was cold. And the sergeant, you know, drill sergeant of a nurse took over. Not a nice lady, but I was really glad that she was there in that moment. She was not a touchy-feely kind of person. Sometimes, you know, sometimes people say I'm prickly. I don't know if I'm prickly. I don't. I think I'm honest. I mean, it depends, you know, how soft you are. I'm sure I could use some exfoliating of my soul to smooth out some of the rough textures of my life. But I was glad that that woman was not that person in that moment because we needed to take charge drill sergeant. And they, you know, they rang the bells. They did the thing. People ran in. Before the doctor even got into the room, she had righted the situation. But we stayed in there for, uh, you know, actually, yeah, it was great. Come on. Sometimes God can use a drill sergeant of a nurse to make things right. All the nurses said, Amen. <laughs> I was in the hospital in North Carolina in 2007. I had, I had one of those nurses like that too. As a matter of fact, she was so rough around the edges, they had a knockdown, drag out fight at the nurse's station, which was right outside my room at 2 a.m. To the point where they actually, the, the hospital administrators made them come in and apologize to me. Because apparently I said something about it. I was amused by it. I was away. I mean, I was on so many medications. I was on like Cipro and Flagyl and bags of steroids and fentanyl. I mean, I was very, very ill. I weighed about, you know, 50 pounds less than I do right now. I mean, I could use a little bit of weight loss right now, but not that much. I mean, I see the pictures of myself. We were supposed to do, we were in North Carolina. We were supposed to visit family. I was supposed to go to an air show. I was so mad. I like went into roid rage when they wouldn't leave me, let me leave the hospital to go to the air show because that's all I wanted to do was go to the air show. And so they, they sent a man of considerable strength to the room, another doctor to come down and sit, sit down and talk to me. He goes, look, here's the thing. We could let you go. But you're going to be back here tonight if we let you go right now. And see this nice room, this nice cushy corner room, you got it all to yourself? You're not going to have that room anymore. You're going to be in a room with some guy who's moaning all night. So I think maybe you just want to stay. And I was like, okay, I'll stay, I'll stay, I'll stay. Besides, I wasn't going to roid rage on that guy because he could just squash me like a bug. They knew what they were doing. But that drill sergeant of a nurse came into my room at one point to give me another fentanyl shot. So I had like seven open bleeding lesions around my colon. They had diagnosed me with a, a neuroendocrine tumor on my pancreas. And she came in to give me my next shot. So she gives me the shot, and then she sits back and she says, okay, so if the Bible is written thousands of years apart by all these different authors from all these different times and places, how do you know that it's really the word of God? And I'm thinking, 
you asked me that question after you just gave me the shot because when you get a shot of that stuff, like you know, I you know, I've seen the movies, right? Like you just feel it in your veins and you're just sinking into your bed and you're just like, <laughs> but I felt the glory of God in that moment. And I didn't enter into a debate. I didn't answer her question. I started talking about the power and the glory of God. For 45 minutes, I spoke into this woman's life. And this woman who is the drill sergeant, you could just see the wounds of life and the hardness on her face began to melt away. And tears began to stream down her face. True story. Tears began to stream down her, her face after 45 minutes. Now imagine as a nurse on an oncology floor being in a room with a guy for 45 minutes when you've got other patients, other things to do and she's weeping and she, after 45 minutes she says I can't believe you're talking to me like this after I gave you that shot <clears throat> I never felt it and then she said I, I, I've got to I've got to straighten myself up I've got to go see other patients and she left and then I wanted another shot <laughs> I was like I didn't get my goodies <laughs> Salvation is free, but overcoming is an, is an option. How do we overcome? Revelations 12, 10 and 11. One of my favorite passages of scripture. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven. Now people that want quiet church are going to struggle in heaven. There's all kinds of loudnesses going on. There's thunders, there's lightnings, there's loud voices, there's trumpets. There'll be Christian on the drums. It'll be great. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night, and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even faced with death. Now just by the way, it's not telling you not to love your life. It's just not wanting to love your life so much that you won't go where God tells you to go. I had a missionary tell me one time, they were a young couple, you know, living in a, you know, an area where there were some dangerous areas. And, and she told me, if God called us to, to that place over there, I would really struggle because my first responsibility is to my kids. And I thought, Revelation, Revelation says, and they loved their lives not un, unto death. I'm confusing the translations. They did not love their life even when faced with death. Not telling you to be irresponsible, but we do want to live out with that, that not so old song says, where you go, I go, what you say, I say, what you pray, I pray. That's what it means to be in the center of the sacred space of the name of God. It's not a rubber stamp that we put on uh, at the end of prayers. It's a reality that we live within because when we're in the name of Jesus and we see the things that he has for us in his name and we name it, it begins to manifest in our present time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That presupposes that the things that you're doing are in Christ because you're going through him. It's not all things. The focus isn't on the all things. The focus is on the through Christ. You can do all kinds of things that are not through Christ that you're just doing in your own strength. You think you're doing it in the name of the Lord, but he's over here doing something else. 
the power of testimony will realign you with the mind of Christ in your present circumstance. When you don't feel like it is the best time to release a testimony. It's the best time to talk about the great things that God has done in your life. You don't wait for the warm, fuzzy feelings to come. Don't wait for the moment or the honey amber column of glory to come down upon you or the angel of the Lord to show up to give you revelation. I'm telling you, when you are in the midst of your stuff, when you begin to release that testimony, it will realign you with the mind of Christ in that moment. So we have the power of testimony, but testimony also has a substance. There's a substance of testimony. It's a carrier of something. It's a transducer. It receives what you're putting out and releases it into the atmosphere. Acts 1.8, and I think we read this last week, but I'll read it in the Passion Translation this week. But I promise you this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be filled with power. And you will be my messengers to Jerusalem, throughout Judea, the distant provinces, even to the remotest places on the earth. When you receive the Spirit, you receive power. Always, 100% of the time. The, the word of God is a promise to you right now. You will receive the spirit. Many of you have received the spirit. And in the spirit that you have received, there is power for your life, but power that is to be released through your life all of the time. I'm t some of the greatest testimonies that I have were in those times where I was at my weak weakest, like when I was in the hospital. Nurses that weren't even assigned to me were coming to the room because the glory of God was so thick in the room. I don't know what it was about that moment, but I was so filled with faith. I was like, I'm not going down like this. I hear the report. I understand this thing is on me, but it's not mine. I don't have this. It is just on me. I've not taken possession of my infirmity. There are people that I've come across of that, that have, they've married their infirmity, that they elevate their infirmity to the point where it becomes their identity. That even if they break free from their infirmity, that they're part of, of survivor groups and say, I'm a survivor of it. Look, that is not, when you are in Christ, you are a new creature. You're a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, I make all things new. And that's who you are. Jesus promised when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we will receive power. But power for what? To be his witness. Sometimes in the, the, the charismatic prophetic realm, we think, you know, the power is, is always for something flashy. You know, it's, it's for healing or it's, you know, so I can pray for people and they go down or bodies will start flying. Look, the power is to be his witness. And sometimes power is released in a gentle conversation in a way that is more powerful than you could ever do from a microphone. Because if that witness leads to salvation, there is no greater power or manifestation of the love of God than salvation. To actually witness and be a part of the process of seeing someone plucked from the domain of darkness and placed into the kingdom of his light. Being given that the spirit of adoption and now placed in as a brother, as a sister in your royal family. And then you get to the opportunity to raise them 
as babies. The Holy Spirit empowers us to demonstrate, though, also God's supernatural power through miracles, healings, and other manifestations. Can he do it through you? Yes. How do you do it? How does he do it through you? You've got to be willing to go do it. We were talking, and sometime in the last couple of weeks, we are talking about John Wimber. Greta was talking about John Wimber in the conversation. And he prayed over 3,000 people before he ever saw someone get healed. And this guy's the father of power evangelism. You know, the, the, the vineyard movement in the 80s was all about doing this stuff. We see it in the word. Jesus did it. The apostles did it. The disciples did it. Now we're going to go do it. We're actually going to go do this stuff. We're not going to just talk about it. We're going to go do it. He's at Fuller Seminary, and he's teaching about power evangelism in Fuller Seminary. You know, our apostolic father, Che On, he sat under the teaching of John Wimber at Fuller Seminary. But it took him, I don't know how he counted. Like, how do you count? Like, I've never counted how many people I prayed for. But 3,000, so somebody's taking a tally. Maybe it was an estimate. Maybe it felt like 3,000, but he said 3,000 people. And then the woman said, she's healed. I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. He's like, no, you're not. Sometimes you get caught in a rut. You start to, to build your theology over negative past experiences instead of what the word of God actually says about him and about who you are in him. And I get that. I don't know, man. I don't know if I have that kind of tenacity. I mean, I'm pretty tenacious. But I guess you could, you know, you get, you're just getting the, 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 the rhythm of praying over people and not really expecting anything to happen. So that, but you're just doing it out of obedience because you know that this is what we're supposed to do. So I'm just going to keep praying over people. And I don't know what was in his mind, like to, to continue to do that. But I can totally resonate with someone telling him they're healed, me, him looking at him like, no, you're not. Yes, I am. And then it broke. You know, here in this, this house, in August of 2006, we invited the chief of the, the Natick Praying Indians into the house. This was before I even got here. It was right before I came. And they, as a church, we repented on behalf of the church, on behalf of our people, to the chief of the the Natick praying Indians, and ask permission to minister on their land. Now, you might think that this is insignificant. You might think it's weird. You might, but by revelation, John Thomas said, this is something that we need to do. And on the back end of that, the chief entered into a protocol ceremony, which protocoled us in to give us permission to minister on the land. On the back end of that, signs and wonders and miracles began to pop in this house. And I came in in, in 2007. I, mean, I did a couple Sundays in 2006 just filling in. But I came in in 2007 to the point where there was about a six-month period where just about every time I played on the keyboard that gold dust would just appear on the keyboard. But I wouldn't tell anybody because Christians be crazy. And then they come up with scotch tape and they start taking the gold and put it in their Bibles so they can look at it later. But we, you know, we saw it rain in the room. There was a Sunday where I was, I was leading worship and I was annoyed because there was so much commotion in the back. And I'm like, you know, don't they know we're worshiping God? I was that guy. After the service, I found out the lady had come in blind 
and just during worship, God touched her and opened her eyes and she began to see and people were all freaking out because this blind lady suddenly could see. She was freaking out and then I felt humbled because I was annoyed that they were all talking and you know manifesting and doing whatever they were doing in the back. While I was leading people in worship to the almighty God. Don't you know who I am? I'm the worship leader. I get cranky. It's okay. The Lord rebukes me and corrects me and disciplines me. And sometimes he does that through Debbie. So the Holy Spirit empowers us to demonstrate God's supernatural power. Now, I don't want us to focus on the supernatural power without keeping in focus the simple act of love of bringing someone into and through salvation. Now, sometimes the supernatural act becomes the gateway to bring revelation to someone that maybe there's, there's something real going on. That's what happened in that man in that, that, that church, that Spanish church. It awakened him to possibility to the point where he was trying to inhibit his wife or his girlfriend from going to the altar. Now he's at the altar because he just encountered Jesus. The same thing happened in a very remote village in Africa where this lady told me, she through, through an interpreter, that she knew that I was going to do some meeting in the village that night, but she couldn't go because she couldn't walk up the hill anymore. And I said, do you want prayer? And so I prayed for her. I don't know how many times I prayed for her. The first time she looked at me, she goes, nothing happened. Pray again. Cool. Okay. I felt nothing. And after several times of praying for her, she got up. She moved her elbow. She moved her knees. And, and you know, her face brightened a little bit, but not a lot. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to overblow this thing like, you know, that the angels came down and she, you know, started flitting through. She just looked at me. And she goes, okay, I will come to your meeting. And she got delivered of I don't know how many demons that night. There's mass deliverance. Every person in that village that day got saved, except for two. The witch doctor's son and the witch doctor's nephew. And they weren't there. The witch doctor was in the meeting. She got saved. Because of the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit that was released in that place. So sometimes that is the gateway that brings the revelation for people to actually see and experience Jesus. But did I feel it? I didn't feel anything. I was just walking in obedience. The guy I went to the village with, he said, okay, now we go. And he just started bringing me from hut to hut. I didn't know. We had never done that before. I don't know how many villages I've been in. Like we'd never, he just decided that day that's what we were doing. And I'm so glad he did. So these signs and wonders point people to Jesus. They point people to Jesus. They, they're not there to validate your ministry. And I struggle sometimes, and I, you know, I, I can't get into the space where I'm guessing or trying to figure out someone's motive. That's not my job. But in this age of ministry and social media, you know, and people validating their prophetic words, or they're, 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 they're validating, you know, some power encounter that they had or that they released on someone else. And it, sometimes I feel like that the point, it starts to point at them instead of him. The point of signs and wonders is a sign to make you wonder about Jesus. That's the plan. And we're moved out of combat, compassion. We don't want to just be playing in the sandbox of the Holy Spirit and, and having a good time with our gifts. We want to be moved with compassion. That's, that is the space that Jesus moved from when he released healing. So when we speak 
of signs and wonders. We testify of signs and wonders in the Holy Spirit. We invite others to experience the living God. We can share these testimonies out of authenticity. We don't have to exaggerate at all. Just tell it like it is. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. When you see God move, talk about it. And people will respond. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to say yes. You're not going to close every deal. But you're casting bread upon the water. You're throwing seeds upon the soil. And that harvest might happen in that moment. But if it doesn't, do not stop. Do not become weary in well-doing. For at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if we faint not. If I can go a little King's Jamie, King's Jam- King Jamesy on you. The demonstration of the power of the cross through the Holy Spirit will break through skepticism. It will break through doubt and it will break through this rugged intellectualism that we face in this region. The intellect cannot overcome a witnessed miracle. The intellect can be skeptical about a testimony, but I'm telling you, when you release the authentic testimony of Jesus, it starts to break through the hardness of hearts. A lot of times I'll look at people and say, look, you're going to think I'm crazy or I'm telling the truth. There's really no in-between because I'm about to tell you something. Because there is no in-between. I remember doing that to a Jehovah's Witness. I think it was Jehovah's Witness. And they kept sending, the, a couple times, they kept, they, they, twice, they, they sent these two like college-age girls to my door. And maybe because they, you know, I was younger, I was in my 30s then, maybe thought they were going to flirt their way into me being Jehovah's Witness. I don't know. So the second time they came, because I engaged them in conversation, if you do that, they'll come back. And I'm okay with that. You know, when I was a kid, you know, they, yeah, I remember pastors saying like, well, don't let them into your house because you'll, look, I'll, I'll let anybody in my house. It's my house. See, in the Old Testament, we had to be worried about touching that which was unclean because then the unclean would get on the clean. In the New Testament, we touch the unclean and it becomes clean because we're clean. That's how it works. So I don't care who's proselytizing my door. Like, you know, I, no, I didn't let them in because I was alone and they were two young girls. But, you know, so they came back a second time. And I said, here, let's do something. I'll let you pray for me if you let me pray for you. And let's just see what God does. Now, I don't know if they were mic'd up, if something was going on, because there was this Volvo station wagon down at the end of the street. That thing came tearing down the Seagrave Street in Uxbridge, Massachusetts, and stopped. And they turned around without a word, and they left, and I never saw them again. That happens a lot, though. People that get to the place where they want to be free, and then all of a sudden, you, you never see them again. You can bring people to the point of decision, but you can't make the decision for them. I always say, you know, he set the table before you in the presence of the enemy, but he's not going to make you eat from it. People sometimes will say, well, how how can a loving God allow this to happen? Look, he set the table. You know, if, if Debbie makes dinner and she calls for Riley to come to dinner, but he didn't want to come to the table, she's not bringing a plate to him. She's saying, dinner is at this table, and you can come and eat, but I'm not going to make you eat. But this is where it's at. That's what God is saying. Sometimes we try to hold God to a standard that we wouldn't uphold ourselves. Not even close. And we, well, he's God. He should. Look, that is, that's the height of hypocrisy. 
There's such as this perception of Christian hypocrisy in, in the nation right now, but the reality is we're, we're sort of all living these Hippocratic lives. We're, we're holding God or we're holding Christ to a standard that we don't even come close to living our, ourselves. And we expect him, we expect him to bring people into his household as family that don't even identify him, that completely ignore him, deny his existence, revile him. That's just not how it works. He gave everything so that you could come, but he's not going to force you to come. But he releases demonstrations of, of his power so that we can speak of it to open hearts and minds to the possibilities. What is possible when we have a personal relationship with Jesus? And so then you step into the benefits of testimony. Oh, wait, well, it's really all about Jesus. Well, it's all about Christ and you, the hope of glory. Like you, uh, I applaud you if all you want to do is bless God. Like your whole, your whole countenance, your mind, your will, your emotions, your spirit is all engaged in blessing God, but you will never outbless him. He wins every time. He's a good, good father. The word says, maybe you have not because you ask not. I'm not worried about a bunch of people singing to, to the Lord and asking him for stuff because I see it in the Psalms as an exercise. Back in the 90s, I went through the entire book of songs, Psalms and I highlighted every line of supplication. What is supplication? It's those lines where we ask him for something. There was a lot of, a lot of highlighting in my Bible at that time because it's all over Psalms. A good father, man... I don't know how it would be for me if, if I raised my son and he just never asked anything from me. I mean, sometimes it gets annoying. But if he never asked anything, I would be like, does this kid, is he even part of our house? Does he even love me? Does he value me? What father doesn't want kids that ask them for stuff? And I, you know, I get it. You know, those texts at 11 o'clock and dad, dad can I play games so mom won't yell at me if you give me permission almost always the answer is yes because what am I going to say I'm downstairs playing games Mark 16:20 says and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message confirmed the message confirmed the message by accompanying signs Sometimes the sign is the gateway to the message. In this case, the sign was the confirmation of the message. And I think that's kind of how he really intends it. It says signs and wonders will follow them that believe. So we can actually live in such a way where we no longer are chasing signs and wonders, but they're just happening in the wake of our departure. Everywhere that we go, there's a swirl of Holy Spirit and signs and wonders just begin to pop, not because we're looking for them, but because that's just how good that he is. But we have seasons and times where we've got to break through our, our mindsets that have blocked an aspect of the nature of God from being released through us. And so we have to bring some focus. We've got to start banging down the doors of our mind and the strongholds of the mind, those systems of logic that we believe to be too true, but they're based upon lies. 
They're based upon negative past experiences. Well, I don't believe that God heals anymore or the gifts died with the passing of the last apostles. Or, or no, his word is living. He's active today and he is healing people around the world. We're seeing demonstrations of his glory, of his light. We've seen unthing, unseen things manifest in the scene. I, I've seen a physical glory cloud manifest in a room during worship. I've seen it rain inside a room during worship. I've, and that's in America, let alone the, the things that I've seen in the nations. God is able. We've got to elevate our faith. Everything that we do, when I talk to worship teams, even when I travel, or I, I think of our, our team here, when I see Christian playing the drums, or Felipe was here uh, a couple weeks ago playing the drums, every time you hit the drum, it releases light. When I play or I'm playing a guitar or I'm singing, I picture light springing forth from the sound that I release because I know that it is a form of the testimony of Jesus that is the spirit of prophecy. And so even through a song, even through a sound, even through a clap of the hands, I become the worship leader right where I am because that sound is releasing light into the atmosphere. And now salvation, healing, deliverance is in the room. And now you can get caught up in the atmosphere that Christ Christ is created in me because he is in me and that is the hope the absolute assurance of the glory of God being released on earth that's what's available in you light 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 every sound is light every step you take it's the kingdom of heaven that's at hand I used to tell my worship teams when you get up on this platform where you stand it's kingdom you don't come under an atmosphere that someone brings into the room you dictate atmospheres I'm not coming under depression I'm not coming under fatigue. I'm not coming under a stomach bug that I had this week. I own this space because I am an ambassador of Christ. He is making his appeal through me. I have direct access to the king. And the king says, this space is mine because it's his. Be bold. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Somebody say, say so. When we testify and speak of signs and wonders, the Lord works with us to confirm the message of the gospel. We step out in faith. We share what God has done. He backs up our words with mighty power. We receive power. We release power. You need a breakthrough in your life? Go tell somebody about Jesus. You know, we, we had this woman coming to church. And she, we were doing multiple services. And she would come to me in between services all the time. And she wanted prayer for all of the chaos in her life. I got to the point where I was like, you know what? Go pray for somebody. Maybe I was prickly. But I wasn't seeing change. And I said, you need to get outside of yourself. See all those people out there? Go pray for somebody. And she began to do that. And I'm telling you, from September to October, we get into November, and now all of a sudden, she's not coming to me for prayer anymore. She's coming to tell me the testimony of what God did because she prayed over people. Because she got outside, even in the midst of the chaos of her life, she got into the order of God, even though she felt like she was in a prison, she felt like she was in chains at midnight, and she began to release out of compassion, prayer and love for other people, that suddenly she wasn't looking at her own stuff anymore. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Testifying of Jesus and his signs and wonders will activate and release the glory of God upon you in a tangible way. A lot of times I don't feel stuff when I'm praying for somebody, but I feel something after. Back in the 90s, I had, a, I had a, 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 I don't know, he was an itinerant minister, 
I don't know if he was from Toronto or whatever, I can't remember, but he looked at me and goes, you're a slow drinker. Tell about the Holy Spirit. You know, the wine of the Spirit, because everybody else is flopping around and doing it. I'm just standing there. Like Aaron Evans said, man, I love him. They did his funeral yesterday. But he used to say, I have the standing up anointing. I was like, I resonate with that. Except for the one or two times that I didn't. And look, when you have the standing up anointing and then the Holy Spirit rocks you and you start, you know, moving, all the drunk people in the Spirit, it's just like the real world. They're like, they're like, ah, he finally got you. He finally got you. Like that validates their drunkenness. I look at him, I was like, don't worry, it's not going to happen again. Until it did. That Sunday, I had to crawl off the platform here at the bridge. Only time that ever happened, and as I'm crawling off the platform, John Thomas hands me a microphone. Your testimonies are the catalyst for revival. Your testimonies. Not what I'm doing. I mean, it could be. But it's no greater opportunity than what you have. Look, if everybody in this room went out from this place today and started releasing the testimony of Jesus, I'm telling you, we would begin to transform this region. There's so much power in you. There's so much of Jesus in you. The, 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 you are actually partakers, you're participators in the divine nature of the living God. That's how much nature of God is in you. What does it mean that Christ is in you, the absolute assurance of the glory of God released on earth? That's in you, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelling in you will quicken your mortal body. That's in you. I woke up this morning and I felt awful. I did, I had a stomach bug this week. I felt awful. I wasn't, you know, Greta looked at me when I came in, she goes, oh, what's wrong? I mean, I was feeling really bad. But that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelling in me, quickened my mortal body, not while I was focusing on my infirmity. And it's just, the, you know, it's just the aftershocks. Don't worry, I'm not walking around with a stomach bug, I'm past it. But you know, you get aftershocks. I won't give any more detail than that even though I want to, but that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelling in me, quickening my mortal body when I took my eyes off of how I felt and I started to sing, all hail King Jesus, all hail the, the Lord of heaven and earth. And suddenly the things of this earth began to grow strangely dim, even the discomfort in my body because his glory is being released upon the sound that I'm releasing. And although I'm blessing him, he still outblessed me because that's what a good father does. The power of the cross, the power of the blood, the power of the testimony of Jesus are benefits afforded to us when we say yes to him. Our stories of redemption and healing and supernatural empower, um, uh, encounters have the ability to transform lives and, uh, lives and draw people into a vibrant relationship with Jesus. And as we boldly share our testimonies and demonstrate God's power, we can trust that the Lord will work with us confirming the message of the gospel with signs and wonders, even through you. Our lives are a living testimony, bringing glory to Jesus, pointing others to the saving work of the cross. What has inhibited you from releasing the sound of the testimony of Jesus in your life? The enemy can't stop you. He can inhibit you. He can bring you the illusion of your inability to move forward, but you can always move forward. And often, the best way to move forward is to stop thinking about your stuff and get into someone else's. In good ways. 
What is the stone in your life that needs to be rolled away? Thankfully, my God happens to be in the business of rolling stones away. His love never fails. He uses the foolish things to confound the wise. So you might think, oh, I don't know. I, I'm just me. Look, he uses the foolish things to confound the wise. Here am I. There's an answer to every obstacle you face right now. And the testimony of Jesus will be like spiritual glasses you put on that bring all things into focus, even when everything seems dim. A fresh encounter with him, a fresh touch of his glory, a fresh baptism of his love and his fire. That's what's available to you today. Thank you for listening to this message from the Bridge Metro West in Natick, Massachusetts. Paul David Gidry is the senior pastor at The Bridge. For more information about The Bridge Metro West family, our gatherings and events, visit www.bridgemetrowest.com or call us at 508-651-0277.